I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor, well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare the lone and level sands stretch far away. This is a poem that speaks to the sin of presumption, to the arrogance of a without God life that has us fooling about, pretending to be gods, mucking about, acting like we are in control of things, like tomorrow is due to us, like we can fix our outcomes as though we know what tomorrow actually brings. This is a, fa a famous sonnet that's captivated and haunted imagination since 1818. And its brilliance and its, its cadences and its imagery tell us something wonderful and something worrisome about our human condition. Now the poem is called Ozymandias. It was written by Percy Bysshe Shelley after he saw this statue arrive at the British Museum in the early 1800s. Now this is a statue, the visage of Ramses II, the pharaoh often connected with Moses and the Exodus. This head, this visage was found wrecked and lying in the sand next to its own broken legs. Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies. That's what he's talking about. Now, the statue is a monument to the sin of presumption, you might say. The vanity of worldly ambition and power of the pride of humanity to spend our days conquering, chasing, clutching, grasping after things that actually just waste our lives. So what came of this one who was the king of the world at the time, the self-proclaimed king of kings? Well, he was forgotten in the sands of the earth and the sands of time. His mighty works, well, it's just ruin and erect stone. He didn't know his life was a vapor, a mist. There's a wisdom in knowing our life is a vapor. Our lives are vapors. Now, rather than that being a downer, <laughs> This truth, this truth helps us to actually live. And so let's, let's see how. That's what James is going to show us. Now recall that James is the brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. And this book he is writing, this letter, is, is a book of wisdom literature. And wisdom is living well in God's world according to his word. It's living with skill and artistry in accordance with reality, living with the grain of things, so to speak, how God has designed them. It's living in accordance with that. That's what wisdom is. 
And so it makes sense that James writes what he does in this passage. For James knows the scriptures really, really well. He knows the Psalms. He knows Psalm 90, verse 12. And Psalm 90 is the prayer or a psalm of Moses. And in verse 12, Moses says, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Help us to count our days, to know our lives are short, that we might have a heart of wisdom. There's something about numbering our days that has to do with wisdom. A heart of wisdom has the perspective that our lives are vapor, that our days are, are so, so very short. So let's listen again to what James says here, verse 13 and 14. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So James calls out the foolishness that realistically we live by all too often. We presume upon tomorrow and we live our days and we plan for our future without much thought of God. We think about what we want to do, we, we put it in our, in our phone, our, our calendars, and so rarely do we consult God and think of God and his plans for us in the process. There's an often unseen arrogance that presumes upon time, place, what we will be, how it will turn out, the outcomes. So James says, people will say, today or tomorrow I will, and in, in our modern Western world, we, we live in a, a world that is, is full of our, our rights, right? We have our rights, and we live in a world full of amazing technologies that have extended our lives, that help us to feel as though we will just keep on going, and anything else is an intrusion. We live in a world that has created conditions that have us banking on waking up tomorrow, and to think otherwise is considered pessimism or, or morbidity. And we feel as though we are owed tomorrow. It's our due. My life is my own. But is this, is this the case? We not only plan on tomorrow, we plan on when and where we will be. Right? We are the director, the captain of our travel plans and accommodations. We're going to make these things happen. We plan on what it is that we will do, what our energies will go towards tomorrow, the day after, the day after, the day after. And then we plan the outcome. We will trade, do, and then we will make a profit outcome. But James is helping us to have a heart of wisdom here, and he skewers this kind of presumption, this kind of arrogance that bubbles up um, from us. Really, he says? Really? Really? You say these things, and you believe these things. You've granted yourself a lot of control, a lot of power, godlike power, really. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow brings. You can't tell me what will happen tomorrow morning, afternoon, or evening. You don't know what's coming your way. You're limited, my friends. You have no crystal ball. You don't know what tomorrow holds, so why not? So why not walk humbly? 
He then says the stunning and the need to reckon with sentence. He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, now let's be honest. Let's take stock. When you hear me read that, when you hear me say, your life is a mist. Your life is a vapor. You're here, and then you're gone. Like, what rises in you? Like, how do you, how do you respond What's your gut reaction, your your visceral response? You're a vapor. Is it denial? Like, no, my life is way more than that. Maybe it's um, sadness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's confusion. But that is a pretty hefty statement. Your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, this word mist um, in the Greek is atmos. It's where we, you know, the word atmosphere, we get that from this. Atmos means mist or vapor or smoke or like a, a puff of air. So the atmosphere is the, the air and the sphere around which we live. The Hebrew equivalent is the word hevel. I think James knew Ecclesiastes well. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses the word hevel often, uh, vanity or, or wisp or vapor or mist. It's something that's transient, ephemeral, here and then it's gone. It's fleeting. It's like, it's like the mist that hovers in Autumn's Vineyards out in Livermore Valley here. Uh, driving my kids to school every day, I, I go through down Tesla and that way back there, um, and we drive through the vineyards. And early in the morning, the, the mist, you know, kind of haunts the, the bottom of of the vines there, and as the light grows, that mist just evaporates and it's gone like it was never even there. Or it's like your, your warm breath meeting the cold air this morning, right? When you walked outside and you saw a little, little puff of air and then it was gone. Or it's like the puff of smoke from that linen or balsam wood magnolia candle on your savvy farmhouse table that the Gaines told you to buy, right? It's like you blow that candle out and poof, you know, It's just gone. So here it is. Here's your life. I'm going to show you your life. Are you ready? It's going to blow your mind. Here we go. This is your life. There it is. I'm going to smell good. Oh, man. A little too much. That's our life right there. I missed. It's just, just gone. It's gone. Our lives are vapors. And when we don't have this perspective, here's the counterintuitive thing. When we don't have this perspective, we will then tend to waste our lives. Your life will pass before your eyes in a flash. You will find yourself saying, like I did just a couple weeks ago, how did I turn 43? Or how, how in the world am I 50? Am I 60? Am I 70? Or am I 80? Or you'll say things like, it feels like just yesterday that I was an eight-year-old, that I was in elementary school, or yesterday that I graduated from college, or yesterday that we had our first kid, or yesterday when our first kid graduated from college. How did I get to be this old, right? The other day, uh, my wife texted me a picture when I was um, at my study here in the the church with kind of like a crying emoji, and it was a picture of our youngest, Olivia, sitting on a swing, having a lot of fun. She looks so big. She had these long legs and this maturing face. It's like, how, how did this happen, was what rise in me. I'm like, 
I feel like quite literally we just picked her up from the hospital yesterday. I can close my eyes, and, and it seems like yesterday, and now she's four years old and, and sassy and full of all of this energy and growing. How did this happen? How are our days so long and the years so short? Don't waste your vapor. Don't waste your vapor. And our reflex is to push this truth of our vaporness away because it sounds so, so negative, like it damages our worth as, as human beings or undercuts life's existential meaning somehow. But don't run from the truth that your life is vapor. Let it reframe your days. Let it reveal your, your meaning. Let it vitalize your efforts, not gut them. Don't waste your vapor. Acknowledge it. Live in light of it. Let it reshape your days. I grew up with something um, of, like this thought in my home. Uh, my dad would uh, often say, whether it was um, us saying, we'll see you later, or you know, we plan on doing X, Y, or Z, he would finish whatever it was with the saying, some of you probably know it, we'll see you later, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We'll see you next month when we, when we drive out to see the family. Good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Although he didn't say it that way, because my dad has um, some uh, Kentucky and Florida background. So he said, good Lord willing, and the crick don't rise. Like, what is a crick? Like, I've never, I don't know what a crick is, and what does it mean that a crick rises, right? And it comes from a Johnny Cash song by that title, If the Good Lord's Willing, and it actually goes further back into some other country roots there. Uh, and I didn't realize until much later that basically it's the hillbilly version or the backwoods version of, of the Latin Deo Valente, God willing, which a lot of theologians would write DV on their, their manuscripts or say, God willing, God willing, because they pulled it here from the book of James. Live in the reality of your limitations and know that you're not God. So James says here in verses 15 and 16, instead, instead of boasting, instead of saying you're going to do X, Y, or Z, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Now, James isn't saying that we just need to implement some magical phrase, some kind of incantation that is somehow strangely effectual just because we say it. That's not what he's saying. So whether we go country, you know, go to our friends in low places, and we say, Lord willing, you know, and the the creek don't rise or we go like i don't know we go academic and medieval and we say deo valente what is important is that we have a providence perspective it's important that we have a providence perspective that frames our understanding of, of reality that we see the world is under god's providential care and providence is god's purposeful and good sovereignty over all things it's god's purposeful sovereignty and his good sovereignty that is over all things, that frames everything that happens. It's his loving and care uh, over the world. It's his provision over the world. And to not acknowledge that your life is lived before God, that it's lived before uh, Coram Deo, the face of God. To not acknowledge that, to not live under his providence, is to simply just be disconnected from reality. It's to not live humbly. And more so, it's, it's to live arrogantly and to boast that you are your own. 
You are your own and your life is in your hands. We live in God's created order and our days and our energies are gifts given by him under his jurisdiction. And so to not acknowledge that as a form of, of cosmic plagiarism, so to speak, a glory theft. It's taking God's glory and his due, stealing it from him and putting it on ourselves. And it's also giving him the, the cold shoulder, snubbing him, just going about our days. It's treating God as inconsequential and unimportant. It's a, it's a little bit like a passenger sitting in seat 32 on flight 10, 1012 on Southwest on the way up to Portland, sitting there in that back seat, thinking they're the pilot, thinking that they're steering and everything is under their control and acting like it. Like it just, it just doesn't really make sense. Whatever that is, it's not wisdom. So James teaches us to live with a posture of heart that has a providence perspective. Don't waste your vapor boasting about what you will do. Have the humility of a providence perspective. Well, he goes on here to this uh, really powerful closing sentence of this portion. Verse 17. He says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In other words, rather than boast, have a providence perspective and a do the next right thing kind of posture. To your life. I think this is really important for us to know. The word here, this is where some of the original word nerd language stuff is really helpful. This word kalos in Greek, uh, it can be translated as, as right, but that's a pretty anemic translation. Um, it, it means good and beautiful, uh, just like abounding with moral excellence and beauty and virtue, living in a accordance with with how things should be good and beautiful so whoever knows the good and beautiful thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin the days that we've been given the energies that we have been given we are to steer towards doing the next good and beautiful thing don't waste your vapor do the next good and beautiful thing now at this point, uh, I feel like I should say what James is not saying. <laughs> I ran across this uh, a number of ways in preparing and praying through the sermon series. And so here's two things that James is not saying. James is not saying don't plan. James is not the patron saint of procrastinators like a lot of people want him to be, okay? That's just not what's going on here. He's not saying don't plan. He's saying plan in the framework of the fact that God is God and you're not and you're under his providential care. Set it within the frame. That's how it works. James is not saying, he's also not saying don't make any kind of profit. James is not the patron saying of anti-capitalism that some socialistic thinkers put him into that box and think he is. That's not what he's saying. That's not the point of the passage at all. The point is outcomes are God's jurisdictions. Don't presume. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't make a profit. Plan, but humbly, knowing it's under God's oversight. Profit, work smart, sure, work hard, but know the outcome are God's jurisdiction. So with that said, kind of working our way through the passage verse by verse, let's, let's take a step back now and then say this and ask how it happens. 
We need to live our vapors well. Live your vapor well. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? First, today's a gift. It is a gift. Live like it. Too often we presume tomorrow is just, it's our due. We, we need to get into our rhythms and our habits. Waking up in the morning, and one of the first reflexes of our soul meeting the day is to say thank you. Thank you that you have put this breath in my lungs today. Thank you that you have gotten me out of bed. Thank you for what is ahead. This day is a gift. That reframes suddenly how you see everything that day. It takes us out of self being the center and puts it back on God and saying, God, this is the day you have given, the day you have made. We need to get that into our rhythms, whatever it takes to get that into your mind, to rewrite those neural pathways so you think of that over and over again. This, is, this day is a gift. That will change how we go about our days and treat other people. The day is not owed to us. It is, it is grace. It is sheer grace. I do believe we would be much kinder, caring people, if that was at the core of our understanding about the day that we've been given. Next, life is short, so don't live in anxious hurry. Walk with God in unhurried presence. That one might sound counterintuitive. You might go, life is short. Okay, I don't have a lot of time, so I gotta hurry up. I gotta get stuff done. I wanna do this. I have a huge appetite. I mean, the horizon's wide. I wanna, I wanna eat this, and I wanna devour this, and I wanna go there, and I wanna, I wanna do this, and we just keep going. And, and, and then we, we live this life of hurry and clutching and grasping. So don't let the idea of our lives being a vapor push you into hurry, because hurry wastes your life. I mean, you could, I could come up with a thousand examples of how when you try to hurry, it ends up going counter what you try, and then you end up taking more time, you end up spilling the coffee, and now you've got to clean up the coffee, and now you're, you're yelling at your kid, and you're out the door late. Like, hurry wastes your life. Hurry wastes your time. And the way to live your vapor well is to walk with God in unhurried presence. That is why we are here, to be in relationship with him and other people. And when you're hurried and distracted, you cannot see each other. You can't see why your kid is whining. You just think they're being obnoxious. You can't see why your spouse is unwilling to talk. You can't see that they've had a bad day because you're going 90 miles an hour. And we can't love each other well when we're in a hurry. And we waste our days. We waste these vapors when we're moving at warp speed. Next, plan wisely, but don't presume upon tomorrow. Have a providence perspective, not a posture of boasting. Proverbs 16:9, an often memorized proverb, says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Earlier I mentioned this building campaign that we talked about. We've been planning this thing and praying through this thing for well over a year and a half. A long time, long time. You better believe we have been working on plans. But the reality is God is going to direct our steps in this thing. It doesn't matter what I say, fancy, fancy graphics, however the plea goes out. Like, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we, we do the best we can to plan and honor God and honor each other. 
And God is going to direct the steps. God is going to direct the steps. But we know it's all under his provision and his providence. And we trust him with that. Next, remember, outcomes are God's jurisdiction. Something about the truth in the statement that just relieves, it's it's like a syringe that pulls anxiety out of my soul. What do we have that God hasn't given us? This keeps us from boasting and bragging. Like, what do we have that he hasn't given us? And think about this strange fact about life. Two people in the same area, working in the same industry, work really hard. Let's say if you could do metrics, they work the same, the, the same amount of effort into this thing. And one of them strikes it big and becomes incredibly wealthy, and the other one struggles for the remaining 40 years and, and just has enough to pay the mortgage. Why? I don't know. There, there's no just equation to figure it all out. God knows, and he knows what our souls need. He knows what kind of difficulties and what kind of joys that we need that will turn us to him to form us in the image of Christ. He knows we don't. So outcomes are God's jurisdiction. Next, that leads us to this. Just do the next good and beautiful thing. Do the next good and beautiful thing. Don't live hypothetically ever casting yourself into the future. Someday I think I will give to that, that, that missionary. Someday I will speak to my neighbor about who this Jesus is. Someday I will do X, Y, or Z. Don't cast your love and your identity in Christ into some hypothetical future. Living and loving isn't for someday. It's for the present moment. It's for today. And that, that leads us to a question then. Um, how do we know? How do we know what is the next good and beautiful thing to do? How do we know? What is right? What is our authority and our model? What does righteous living look like? Right relationships with God and other people. Jesus is the good and the beautiful God. He is the, the kalos God. And he shows us the good and beautiful Father. And he has given us the good and beautiful Spirit that we are to live in accordance with. Jesus always did what was right. When we say Jesus is sinless, that's not some abstract theological category. He treated everyone as they ought to be treated. He loved the Father and listened to the Father, delighted in the Father, and he loved other people perfectly. He lived a good life and beautiful life. And as apprentices of Jesus, we follow a good and beautiful master. Don't waste your vapor. Live your vapor well by being an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it's here where I think I should connect a few, a few dots. Um, for a while now, you've heard us talking about apprenticeship, and then we talked about the paradigm of, of apprenticeship, union with Christ, abiding and obeying that we would image him, become like him. We've talked about how apprenticeship is, is loving, embodied trust in Jesus, empowered by a spirit that's making us like him. And we talked about practices. Really, what are these practices of apprenticeship? Well, they are how to not waste our vapor. Those practices are scripture, meditation, 
unceasing prayer, life together, unhurried presence, joyful generosity, compassionate gentleness, and faithful witness. You could say them all sorts of ways. These are the ways that we've articulated them to help us. So apprenticeship to Jesus is how one lives their vapor well. Scripture meditation. When we meditate on Scripture, these Scriptures point us to Jesus. They show us how Jesus is good and beautiful. All things that are good, beautiful, and true are found perfectly embodied in Jesus. And when we open up the Scriptures, when we meditate on them, when we uh, digest them and, and, and metabolize them, God's Word changes us. We are a people of the Word. We are called to honor God's word, to get God's word in us, that we would abide with Jesus, look at this Jesus, to look at him, to learn from him, and then to love like him. And then that scripture meditation leads to unceasing prayer, which is talking first and most to him about everything. And the scriptures give us language to help us pray, to commune with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then as a family, we, we commune with him. We pray together throughout our days. That takes us to the third one, life together. We are called to be in community. It is in community through the Spirit in all of us that we get to see Christ at work and on display. We are the image bearers of a triune God, a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has birthed a community called the church. And in the church, even though we frustrate each other and run crossways sometimes, right? We get to see the glory and the beauty of Christ, and we get to work out, and the, the corners get rounded off of our souls. We get formed in the image of Christ with each other. Unhurried presence. This is the mode of, of living, the, the speed of life that we go, practicing the presence of God. Seeing the wonder in the world, knowing he has created it. Not running at those million miles an hour, but just walking with him. Seeing the people in front of us. Listening to him. That leads us to joyful generosity. We want to give our lives away for, for God's glory, for the good of other people. That we would help them in their, in their need. Giving up of our time. Our talent, our treasures, some of you, whenever there's somebody on, you know, in the hospital or they just got home from having a baby, like, you are serving, you're getting, the, the, the meal train list is like miles long and you're on there. Sometimes it means finances, other times it means giving someone your time and just giving them your ear, listening and loving them well. Joyful generosity. Compassionate gentleness. You never coerce anyone into the kingdom of love, into the kingdom of heaven. You're never going to coerce anyone into the kingdom of heaven by showing them how stupid they are online, right? And say, I bested them, like you punched them into the kingdom. Like, that's, not, that's not how it works. It's like throat punch, haha, now you love Jesus. No, it's like, it doesn't work that way. Jesus was, was certainly tough and had great resolve. He exuded divine compassion and gentleness. So should we. And that leads to a life of faithful witness. What we say, what we do, our lives should exemplify the goodness and the beauty of Christ. Apprenticeship to Jesus is how one lives their vapor well. Don't waste your vapor. So think again of Ozymandias, a life of the greatest fame, riches, and pleasures. This Ramses II, a life that boasted and presumed that strove and swaggered. Think again of the broken stone image buried in the sand. I mean, 
I would guarantee you that 99% of the people in the world, if they saw that image, wouldn't just say, oh, that's Ramsey's. He felt he's, he's off of people's maps. Now contrast his way with the way of the cross. May our lives, whatever we build, not be monuments to presumption, but a testament to the good and beautiful God, the God immortal, the God eternal, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, who graced us, by the way, with the gift of these vapors, and through his life, death, resurrection, and the gift of his spirit has given us eternal life. We ourselves are not vapors. We are eternal, but this life on this earth is that vapor. So don't waste your vapor. And let me, let me, say, let me say this in closing. Um, if, if you happen to be in the later years of your life, um, and you've just come to know Christ, or maybe you're here and you are in those later years of your life and you don't know Christ, and you're like, great, I've wasted my life. It doesn't have to be that way. Trusting in Christ, even with whatever years you have left, honors God, glorifies him. You can establish a whole new legacy, a whole new trajectory for your life eternally and for your family's life here on the earth and eternally as well. God redeems, so to speak, the years that the locusts have eaten. And in his plan of you coming to salvation, even later in life, you can live your vapor well, trusting in Jesus with whatever days that you have left. So don't waste your vapor. Live your vapor well. Trust in King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You've given us your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our, our only hope. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us, dying in our place, giving us these lives. Help us um, to have a heart of wisdom, to number these days as your scripture has said, but to do it with a delight and joy, um, not, not a sourness or cynicism, but with a gratitude that helps us to live well. Help us to love well. Oh, we thank you um, for your many graces that have come our way. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.